You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. What if? What if this morning we invited a guest speaker and the introduction went along the lines of this? This individual is, has just turned 100 years old. But he's, he's fully cognitive. His cognitive ability has not slipped him one, one bit. When he was a teenager, he was probably about 15 to 16. Maybe just, just a young, healthy fisherman. He was invited by Jesus himself to follow him to walk with him. And for three and a half years, our guest speaker, he he actually walked with Jesus. He saw every miracle that Jesus performed. He heard every miracle, or saw every miracle, heard every message that Jesus ever preached. This whole idea of the Great Commission, he was there to hear that, and he took it serious. And he became just a real close friend of the apostle Peter, And throughout the book of Acts, he and Peter are just inseparable. This this guest speaker, man, he he saw Jesus claim to be God. He saw him do what only God can do. And he's a a best-selling author. Well, he's part of a group of men that that go down as best-selling authors because he actually wrote about these events. He's one of four people that wrote about the life of Jesus. One of them was a doctor and, and was a good friend of his and traveled with him for three and a half years. And he penned down a perspective of Jesus, which was quite interesting from a doctor's perspective. He wrote on this whole idea of Jesus' humanity. There was another one. He was a tax collector turned follower of Jesus Christ. And he was captivated by his majesty. And he wrote of Jesus being a king. There was another one. His name was Mark. And, and, and he wrote about Jesus as well, but he just saw that, that the Gentiles, they, they were really impressed in his culture about servants. And so he presents in his writing about the same three and a half years that he walked with Jesus, this idea of him being the servant, the servant of all. He just... Like he didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom. But then our guest speaker, his, his role, his role as, as a follower of Jesus, he was captivated every time Jesus said something about his being God or he did something that evidenced that he was God. Our guest speaker, he like penned that down. He actually penned down eight things that led to just this irrefutable evidence that Jesus is God. And towards the the end of his gospel, he would say, now I could have penned down many other things, but these things I penned down that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you might have life, zoe, spiritual life and eternal life in his name. This guest speaker, he saw him after he was raised from the dead. This this guest speaker was so radically changed by Jesus' resurrection 
This whole idea that around 32 AD, we would, we would move forward almost 50 years. And for 50 years, our guest speaker, he has been avidly preaching, avidly teaching who Jesus Christ is. He's now worked his way up into what we would see as northern Asia Minor. He's been spending his latter days in the area of Ephesus. He's 100 years old. This is his history. Would we all stand and welcome that man? Yes, we would. Now, if you were one of those, those churches in that region that was blessed with the presence of John, the Apostle John, you would have seen them carry him in. This is what tradition teaches. They would have set him in the front of you, and he would have looked at all of you, and he had one simple message. It's all he would say. Brothers and sisters, love one another. Love one another. That was it. My messages are not that short, just so we can be clear. John, although the author's name does not occur in the letter, scholars down through the ages have agreed that this is none other than the Apostle John. And again, this is supported by the tone of the letter. It's supported by the, the spiritual authority of the letter. It's supported by the fact that the writer has placed himself among the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and ministry in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. It's supported by the fact that, that the writing style is just like the gospel that this writer wrote. Eighty percent of the verses in 1 John reflect ideas and themes that are found in the gospel of John. Fascinating. In both his epistle and his his gospel, there are major, this major emphasis on the person and the identity of Jesus Christ, that he is God. He emphasizes the person of Christ because he had spent three and a half years with the person of Christ. He emphasizes the deity of Christ because, again, he saw Jesus do things that only God can do. And he would pin down those eight miracles in the gospel, as we said. And it's interesting because the emphasis is, is quite the same here. This morning in our introduction of the gospel of John, we're going we're to glean through a few scriptures in this first epistle. But I want to I support what we're going to be learning by what he has pinned down. In verses 1 and 2, just, just to kind of glean through just the focus on Jesus, John's fixation with Jesus, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. Verse even three, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Chapter two, 
verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And He, Jesus Himself, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome the world because he who is in you is greater than he that is within the world. Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Chapter 5, verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 20 of chapter 5. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. That this is the true God and eternal life. Hmm. We can't miss it. John. An ordinary Galilean fisherman. He was the younger of the two sons of Zebedee. His mother was Solome, one who really supported the ministry of Jesus. Solome may have been the sister of Mary. Many scholars believe that. The mother of Jesus. John 15 or John 19:25 talks about that. If so, John and Jesus could have been cousins. John and, and James, his older brother, they were, they were prosperous fishermen who had an industrious business there. They're in the Sea of Galilee. They, they owned their boat. They hired their own servants. In Mark chapter 1, it talks about that. He, he first appears, John the Apostle, he first appears in Scripture as a disciple of John the Baptist. He was, he was, you know, when John the Baptist pointed out, you know, Jesus as the Messiah, it was at that point that John the Apostle immediately left all and he would, he would follow Jesus. John, along with his brother James, were among the first disciples that Jesus would call. John, he was the, the zealous type. In his earlier years, he, along with his older brother James, were labeled the sons of thunder. Mark chapter 3, verse 17. In, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus stopped by Samaria. As he was there, it just says the people did not receive him. Well, when James and John saw this, these two brothers, they said, Lord, 
Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Gotta love these guys. But Jesus, he turned because, again, class was always in session. And Jesus said to them, You do not even know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Along with James and, and Peter, John, he would become part of, of, of Jesus' inner circle. That inner circle where, where three times Jesus would pull them aside and he would just show them something very unique. One, of course, was the raising of Jairus' daughter. Number two was the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus just revealed his glory and blew their minds. And then we see Jesus pulling these three, Peter, James, and John, kind of privately with him on the night when he would be betrayed there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He pulled them a little farther away from everyone else. And he goes, guys, stay and pray with me. Over time, John matured. Over time, he, he took on more of the, the, the character of his master. He ends up being known as the apostle of love. We see the love between he and Jesus throughout the Gospels. At the Last Supper in, in John 13, 21 through 26, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you that, that one will betray me, speaking of Judas. Then, 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 then the disciples looked to one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now, this is John's Gospel, John Penning sings down. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That was John. Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus, think about that. He, John, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus says, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. And he gave it to Judas. Later on at the crucifixion, the next day, the next afternoon at the crucifixion, John 19, 26 and 27, when Jesus therefore saw his mother there at the cross and the disciple whom he loved standing by. Speaking of John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Take care of my mom. Take care of her. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Following Jesus' resurrection. John's Gospel again, chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. It was still dark. The stone had been rolled away. Then she, she ran and, and, and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom, and it's now labeled, Jesus loved. And said to them, they've taken away our Lord, and I just don't know where they've, they've laid him. At the Sea of Galilee, following Jesus' resurrection, in John chapter 21, verse 5, Jesus said to them, as he was on the sea, and they were out fishing, and they were catching nothing. They had left Jerusalem. They were up north now, and they had caught nothing. And he just kind of almost poked a little fun at them. Children, have you caught anything? And they answered him, no. And he's like, 
cast your nets on the other side of the boat, and you're going to find something. And indeed, this crazy miracle would take place, and they were not even able to draw in their fish because the multitude was so, so great. Then it says in verse 7, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Peter, that's the Lord. And then Peter, of course, just takes off his clothes, jumps in, and swims, swims in. It's interesting that the church fathers would identify John with a few different titles. Again, who are we going to be learning from? They would label him John the Evangelist. They would label him John the, the Elder. They would label him John of Patmos. But the, the title that really stuck with him was John, the beloved disciple, the disciple of love. God's love for this guy radically impacted his life. So much so that he mentions love, listen, 26 times in this little letter. 1 John 4, 7 through 11, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God had sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be our propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Man. 1 John 4, 19 and 20. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that we or that he who loves God must love his brother also. Back to that setting in John chapter 21 when the disciples were on the, the, the seashore there. And, and they, they, you know, Jesus they, he miraculously fills their, their net with fish. Peter swims in. The, the rest of the disciples come in. And Jesus, of course, had breakfast all, all ready for them. The, the, it was just, you know, just a few days following the resurrection. And, 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 and now, after breakfast, Jesus will pull Peter off the side. He has that whole love conversation, that love talk with Peter. He's like, hey, if you love me, you need to be feeding my lambs and, and tending and feeding my sheep. And, 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 and oftentimes, just a side note, we always think about that, you know, feed my lambs first. And then tend and feed my sheep. Almost sounds a little bit repetitious. I was thinking about this, man, for the last couple of weeks. I was thinking about this. And I believe behind that statement is this. And it's, it's like, Peter, I'm going to use you in a very powerful way. And that, that's the same heart that he had for all of these disciples. But like, start out feeding. Feeding. These, these new converts are pictured as the lambs. That's the little kids. You can use it as the young ones as well, then the, the older ones as well. But maybe it's the idea of, look at where you start out with these people. They're like, 
they're like babies, man. They're, feed them. But then as they grow, the idea would be, feeder, you, you, you continue feeding them to where they will now become mature. They'll become sheep. And sheep need to be continually fed and continually tended. Just a side note. But then, after having that love wrap with Peter, he would say, Peter, listen, when you're, you were younger, you girded yourself and you went where you wished, but when you were old, you are going to stretch out your hands and another is going to gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And it says there in John 21, verse 19, that, that he spoke. John's like, hey, he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he spoke this, Jesus said, Peter, just follow me. Now, on the heels of that, that's important. This is, this is really important. On the heels of this, Peter turns around to, to one he spent a lot of time with, and that's John. And he, and he saw the disciple, and it says, whom Jesus loved again, following, who also had leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? He remembers all of that. Peter, seeing him, he said to Jesus, Lord, I, I know that you're, you're now predicting my future, but what about John's? What about John's future? This is important because this, this is the guy. This is the guy we're going to be listening to. That has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. But, but this tells us something about his life. What about his future? <laughs> Jesus said, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, that's the point. But then it says, verse 23, this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple, John, would not die. <laughs> then this saying went out that he would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. Missed miss the point. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Now, there's a lot to unpack here regarding things that relate to John. Again, Jesus is talking to Peter about his final days and, and how he will die. Peter, of course, Mr. Impulsive Peter, he, he hadn't really grown and matured a whole lot yet. He just couldn't resist. What about John? What about John? What, what's going to happen to him if if I'm going to be crucified, and I'm a big leaguer. Huh, what's going to happen to this minor league kind of guy? That's what was going on. But then Jesus is like, look it. If, if I wanted to, to keep John around until I come back, listen, then that's my plan for his life. You don't focus on that. The whole point here is, Peter, you focus on, on me and my plan for your life, not me and my plan for the lives of others. That's the point. But it is interesting that Jesus would say this. It is interesting that John is actually the one disciple who saw the return of Jesus Christ. You say, how so? Well, John was on the Isle of Patmos, left in exile, and he was given revelation. He wasn't given the book. He was given the revelation, penned it down, and we have the book. And, and in that revelation that he saw, 
he actually saw the Lord's return. Just fascinating. Just something about this guy who was used to pen down this epistle. The Apostle John appears four times in the the book of Acts. Again, each time he's with Peter in Acts chapter 1. He's with Peter and the other disciples in the upper room following the the, the ascension there in Acts chapter 1 verse 13. In Acts chapter 3, you remember that story where Peter and John are going to the temple together. They're going to pray. And there was a a lame man that was there begging for alms. And and, and they, they all locked eyes. And Peter spoke up and is like, hey, but silver and gold we don't have, but such as we have, we're going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you rise up and walk. And this guy who had been lame from birth stands up and begins to walk. And, and, and all of the people began to see this because it was right there by the temple. And they began to like look at, at, at Peter and John and give them credit for this man and the miracle that took place in his life that day. Man. They told them, Peter and John, they turned their attention to Jesus. It was Peter that was the spokesman, but John was there. And it's like, look, 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 we didn't do this miracle. It's, it's Jesus, the one who was crucified and the one who was raised from the dead. It was through faith in his name that this man is healed. John, John the Apostle, saw things that Jesus did knowing it was God. He saw people raised from the dead. The blind were able to see. The lame were able to walk. And, and he knew that, that, that Jesus had commissioned them and had even told them the things that you see, greater things than this you will do because I go to my Father. This fixation on Jesus, this I'm not letting go of Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus. <laughs> he, is, he, is, he is in me, I am, I, this is all about him kind of life. What was in his heart, the convictions in his heart came out of his mouth. I believe that Jesus can heal this guy. And, and so when the man was healed... In the name of Jesus, they gave credit to Jesus. Then they told them, Peter was speaking there as a spokesman, that they all needed to be repenting so that their sins would be blotted out. I love that. In Acts chapter 4, when the the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees saw all this stuff going up, they, they saw that Peter and John were teaching people about Jesus and that he had been raised from the dead, they laid hands on them, both of them. This is John. This is, our, this is our author here. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day. However, many of those who heard the word, it says there in Acts chapter 4, had believed, and the number of the men came to be around 5,000. So the church was growing there in Jerusalem. Peter and John then find themselves in front of the the, the Sanhedrin, Council of Seventy, these hierarchy of the religious Jewish faith. And Annas, the high priest, was there 
as, as well. And, and they then, the next day, they kind of questioned them. No, they didn't kind of. They did. They questioned them and said, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And I love how, how Luke pins this down. It says, then Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, he begins to preach the gospel again. And he concluded with his message. Time doesn't allow us to read through the whole message, but he preached the gospel. He preached the resurrection. And he concluded by saying, there is no salvation found in any others, chief priest and Sanhedrin, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men shall be saved. So John's like sitting up there, give it to him, Peter. Amen. It says in verse 18 that the religious leaders then commanded them, both of them, don't you dare be speaking at all or teaching in the name of Jesus. But it says, notice, Peter and John answered and said to them, again, gives us some insight into our author. They said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Can't help. You know, there's just that conviction. Something about his name, huh? We're just going to say it a lot. I remember getting an invitation to give an invitation at a city, and, and I was like, yeah, this is great. And then the letter came from the manager of the city. Hey, uh, Reverend Cook. I knew he didn't know me, but he's like, Reverend Cook, we would appreciate that if you, when you give your invocation that you would not invoke the name of Jesus. I'm like, oh, man, that was, that was so Perfect. And, and I'm not saying this sarcastically. I'm not saying this like, we'll show you. It's, it's, it's the same conviction. How can we but not speak? If he's real, and we've seen him do what he's done in the lives of others and in our, our, our own lives, how could we not want other lives to experience the same salvation that he brings? So I'm going to talk about him. Unless you ask me how that all went. Yes, I did pray and, and I quoted scripture that, that tells us to pray in the name of Jesus, and I prayed in the name of Jesus, and all these Christians in the room were like, Amen. Again, you know, Peter and John, these apostles, they were they were they were not politically correct kind of guys, they were biblically correct kind of guys. Later on in Acts chapter 8, Peter and John were sent to Samaria to confirm the conversion of the Samaritans. Later on, John is seen as a pillar in the church. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul would be writing there, and he would say, you know, it just seems that Peter and James and, and John, they are pillars in the church. Five books of the New Testament have been attributed to John the Apostle. First, his gospel, the gospel of John. Now we have these three letters, these three epistles, first, second, and third John, and then, of course, the book of Revelation. Like every other writer in Scripture, John was inspired by God over and over and over, five times, to write <coughs> these things. Just as Peter had said in 2 Peter chapter 2, or chapter 1, verse 21, John's writings were not of private interpretation, but he wrote as he was moved by the Holy Spirit time of writing. Again, an aged guy. Somewhere around A.D. 85 to A.D. 95. 
50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. More than. 1 John, again, written by the Apostle John when he is, he is old man. The recipients of the letter. John is writing to a group of churches that are in and around Ephesus, the province of Asia Minor. Most likely the same churches that Jesus had in mind when he wrote the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Ephesus, the loveless church. Smyrna, the suffering church. Thyatira, the corrupted church. Pergamos, the compromising church. Sardis, the lifeless church. Philadelphia, the faithful church. And Laodicea, which represents the church age today, the lukewarm church. We'll get to all that when we get to the book of Revelations and break that down. But these churches were in crisis. These churches were in crisis for many different reasons, but at, at the top of the list, as, as Apostle John is pinning these things down, we'll, we'll, we'll see is his deep concern that they were being attacked by, by false teachers. These false teachers that had adopted these heretical doctrines, and they, they were spreading them throughout the church. These individuals had once been associated with the Christian community and had left the church. Look at chapter 2, verse, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. And he's talking about these false teachers. Their goal was to convert those in the churches to their beliefs. In chapter 2, verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. In chapter 4, we read this, but let's read it again. In verses 1 through 3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And again, this you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, it's against Christ, which you have heard was coming and now is. Now the heresies that, that, that John, he's going to be challenging, that, that the heresies are rooted in Gnosticism. The Gnostics. They were the, well, what they thought was the, the intellectual elites. The term comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. The agnostic is one who does not know. The Gnostics, they looked at themselves as the ones who were in the know. They were in the know to the deep things, the, the, the deeper things of society and the deeper things of God. They believed that they knew more than anybody. They believed that their knowledge was superior to any apostle. They had superior knowledge. And so the, the knowledgeable ones, 
They, they, they had a psychology, a philosophy on life. They, they maintained that all physical matter was evil. One of the groups of Gnostics actually believed and they taught that Jesus could not have had a physical body because if he did, he was made up of something evil. So they said Jesus only appeared to have a physical body. <laughs> he, was, he was a phantom. They claimed it is impossible that God could actually become a man, so he was like this emanation of God, but not God incarnate. And they were infiltrating the church with this false teaching. So part of of what John is doing here as, a, as an aged John as he's refuting the, the, the teaching of Gnosticism. You know, this, you know, there's no way that Jesus could have had a body. Well, there, there's a reason he starts off in chapter 1, verse 1, by saying, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This life was manifest. We've seen him. We bear witness and we declare to you that eternal life, deity, which was with the Father and was manifest <coughs> to us. Seen him. Heard him. Felt him. Ate with him. He has a body. There was also another sect called the ascetics. Asceticism. Some people gravitated towards this. They, they taught that the, the soul, they call it a spirit, but it's the, the soul. The soul is good. Speaking of the emotion and the intellect, that's good. That's good and it can't change. But the body is evil. That's what they taught. This group became a very rigid group, a very legalistic group, a group that just was totally into self-denial and self-deprivation. Asceticism called for harsh treatment on the body, self-denial, self-mortification, and the whole idea was you had to just, you know, you had to put down the flesh. It's evil. They believed all physical matter is evil, thus it must be denied. They, they believed that you got to deny the flesh, and, and, and so they would wear these abrasive shirts like sackcloth kind of bags over their skin, and they, they, would, they would sleep on hard beds and flog themselves, and, and they would do this you know, sleep deprivation thing and food deprivation thing. They, they forbid to marry. Ladies, hold on to this one, because they believe that women, the source of sin was women, so you don't marry women. <laughs> and they, they even said abstain from sex because of that. It's just a bizarre group I know. But there was one part of these, and again, all this is rooted in, in Gnosticism. There was one group that was kind of almost polar opposite. It was kind of a unique group. But, but they said because the soul is good and the body is evil, they kind of compartmentalized the two. They said that, 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 that then there is nothing you can do about that. Then you should just indulge. You should just indulge. One is denying the flesh. The other one's going, no, no, no. This part of me is good. And because I'm good, the basis of my understanding of, of my intellect and my emotions, what I think and what I believe and what I say is good, and it's separated from my body, I can do with my body whatever I choose. 
crazy. And that mindset is good and well today. What we believe and how we live our lives, and we're like, yeah, that's just two different things. I can say or believe one thing and do another. I've labeled this in one of my past studies as asceticism. <laughs> I said it, so it is. It's interesting that 22 times in this letter, John the Apostle will say, if a man says. If a man says and does not live out what he believes, he's only kidding himself. Look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 4, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Then in chapter 4, Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how again can he love God whom he has not seen? Jesus is the one who said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You can say one thing, okay, do it. Not you can say one thing and do another. He taught that what we believe, what we say, and then that, our, 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 our soul, our spirit or whatnot, what they call that, that, that what we believe, what we say, what we think, what they would believe as far as the emotions and, 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 and all of that, the intellect, he, Jesus taught that that is inseparable from what we do. If you love me, you say that, and you believe that, then you've got to do what I say. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name, we've cast out demons in your name, we've done mighty wonders in your name, and I'll declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Listen, Gnosticism, what, what, what the Apostle John is refuting here in this first letter and, and the other two letters, it it leads people into the bondage of sin. But Christianity, Christ, the one that he's pointing people to, leads them to find victory and freedom over sin. That's the difference. And that's one of the reasons John is writing. It's, it's to, to combat the propaganda of these false teachers and, and to reassure these, these believers to fortify their, their assurance of salvation that is provided through Jesus Christ. And that's what he jumps into at the very beginning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. To clear up any uncertainty, John is going to remind the churches of the truthfulness of Christ, the truthfulness of Christianity, which they have received from the beginning. He wants them to understand the reality of their faith so that they might know how they will experience eternal life. Chapter 5, verse 13, these things I have written to you 
who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John the Apostle, the youngest of the apostles, outlived all of the other apostles. Soul survival of the, the, the apostles had a heart, had a burden for the church. Being the last surviving member of the twelve, a man that was hand-picked by Jesus. Think of the memories. Think of the account that he could share. The, the incredible insights that he could share to encourage these, these believers and us today. Time after time, carried in, would stand to his feet and say, children, love one another. A, a simple Galilean fisherman, a, a zealous man who was all about just calling fire from heaven to just barbecue Samaritans, is now a very humble, aged lover of Jesus and lover of the body of Christ who's simply saying, get this right. Get this right. When it comes to, to understanding sin... Do not follow the philosophies of your day. That's what he's saying in 1 John. When it comes to, to living your life, when it comes to how you see others and how you treat others, do not follow the philosophies of your day. Don't be following the isms. And so he points you to the one that you must know. He points you to the one that you must follow. Jesus Christ. The one-time son of thunder is now a humbled son of God, humbled by the love of Jesus and, and just driven to share now the love of Jesus. How'd that happen? <laughs> well, as we've looked at, at John's life, we realize he simply spent time with Jesus. And over time, he became more like Jesus. And the same thing happens with us. The more we hang out with him, we're focused on him, the more we become like him. After that brief introduction, I am ready to start. This first epistle of John. Let's all stand. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Can't wait to just to dig in, go deep. Learn about you. Become more like you. Oh, we love you. We pray this in your name. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys.